Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in for this episode of Men's Health Unscripted. Today, we have a special guest interview. Joining us from Montreal, please welcome urologist, Dr. Andrew Steinberg. Dr. Steinberg, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. How are you doing? My pleasure. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm on vacation, so I'm nice and relaxed. So it's perfect timing for this. Well, thank you for doing this. Thank you so much for taking the time out to do this. We really appreciate it. And we, uh, we've done a lot of research on, on you and, and some of the programs that you do. And we're really excited to uh, do Super. this interview with you. Great. It's my pleasure. Yeah, we're hoping to get a lot of information from the urology standpoint, a lot of the value information and content you put out. We know that you're very active on social media. So hopefully we can share that message with some men and you know, loved ones that could really use that message. So again- Thank you. And we know you're on vacation, so we'll keep it short, simple, and uh, packed with knowledge for, uh, for all of our viewers. Absolutely. And uh, I, like, I like to talk, and I like to talk about you know, anything for men's health. So, uh, you know, uh, don't be shy. Anything is hey, on the table. We're on your clock, apparently. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> well, you know, as a men's health channel, you know, it's important for our viewers to be aware of the different perspective of men's health issues between the two countries, the U.S. and Canada, and in your professional experience and in our, what we found that it's much bigger in Canada. So why is the topic of men's health more discussed and confronted in Canada versus somewhere like the United States? Well, that's a, that's a long, I, I don't know the difference. I mean, it's, uh, you know, Canadians and Americans are, are, we're not, are different for sure. I think we're much more laid back, uh, much more at ease as a whole. Um, I think these issues, men are just afraid to talk about. Uh, I think that's a, a major problem on both sides of the border and around the world, really. Um, and uh, I, I think it's, uh, you know, I don't know if it's our, our culture or, or our weather or we're, we're less likely to be, uh, you know, macho uh macho guys and uh and uh, again i don't i don't know what the answer to that is i don't i don't even know if that's you know i think it's changing everywhere i think people yeah. are talking more uh now than they were five years ago and and more than they were 30 years ago i think the biggest driver everywhere was viagra because that brought out erectile dysfunction or sexual dysfunction into that kind of put it on the map yeah that put it on the map and that's where uh, all these people who, you know, put it under the table because there were not great options at the time. Mm-hmm. There was uh, surgical implants and there were these injections into the penis, which is very effective, but not something that, you know, I see you just cringed at just even talking about it. Um, yeah. that, that, some, that most people don't want to give themselves a needle to get an erection. And Viagra was, was safe and effective in, in many men. So it brought out all these men saying, hmm, I, I can see myself doing that. And, and, you know, maybe I should go speak, speak to my doctor. And that started, I think, the revolution. It also started the more people that we saw, the more people that we saw. And the more people that we saw who wanted to come from Viagra, and then we, the more failures, the more advanced cases, it just sort of really put sexual medicine uh, for men, at least. I mean, women still, I think, we're way behind, but we're, we're getting there. Uh, but it put it, put it on the map. Uh, so... Sorry, were, were you in practice during that time? Like when it came out, were you in I was a retraining? I was a resident, and I remember my first urology textbook when I was a resident. I went back and it was a, there was a paragraph about this new medication that's being studied. And, uh, and looking back on it, I mean, it's amazing okay. that just in my, you know, short career, 
uh, well, short career, that, um, that uh, you know, we came from that to this, you know? Yeah. Uh, so. Well, yeah, there's I, definitely been a whole proliferation now. We have the Four Hymns, we have Get Roman, we have Blue Chews, and it's really kind of, uh, and that's just like men's, you know, sexual health function. And yeah, I th think that hasn't taken off in, in Canada yet. I know there's okay. a couple of companies that actually approached me. I don't know for, for anybody who doesn't know what those are. Those are sort of websites that uh, you basically call in and get to fill out a questionnaire and maybe speak to a doctor for three minutes and get a prescription for Viagra. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about it yet. Uh, there's definitely some good things, definitely some bad things about it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a huge industry. And, and, and in the States, uh, more than here, and, and the, you know, it's, it, it started to lead to all the other issues because just because you have sexual dysfunction, everything was lumped in, okay, I need Viagra. People come to me for that, but they have other sexual problems. They may have a low testosterone. They may have premature ejaculation, but they just lump it in and get consults from the doctor, erectile dysfunction. Uh, and many times it's not. That's some of the problem with, with those, uh, you know. Uh, do, you, do you see a, a lot of clients, like if they come in with erectile dysfunction, do they assume that Viagra is their first line of choice? And they just assume that's what's going to happen. They don't assess really uh, yeah. prostate health, any other conditions or diet. Yeah. Really? Okay. 100%. And there, that's a great question. And there's so many things associated with it. Um, as you say, diet, uh, obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, these are all precursors to it. And, mm -hmm. and more and more studies are showing that also that erectile dysfunction is the canary in the mind for heart disease. So if you're 47 and you have, or 42 and you have erectile dysfunction, real erectile dysfunction, like you got drunk last night and you couldn't get it up because your girlfriend was mad at you. Um, I'm talking about real organic, let's call it uh, erectile dysfunction. You are higher risk for having heart disease. So blood blood vessels to the heart are analogous to blood vessels to the penis. If one of them is blocked, chances are the other one is could be blocked. Yeah. So if I have a guy who has significant uh, uh, heart disease, uh, or sorry, erectile dysfunction, I'm, I actually send them more and more to cardiologists for a workout. Uh, so back to your question, yeah, I mean, we need to know you know, it's not, Viagra is great, but there's so many other, it, it's an opportunity to get, first of all, men in the door to talk about other things mm -hmm. and say, hey, look, you know, check your cholesterol, check your thing, lose weight, please stop smoking. Uh, like it's, it's, it's a great, um, it, it brings them into, into the office for sure, but there's so many other things at that point that we can take advantage of. Would you, would you say that like having the option of Viagra or any of these blue chews have kind of let men put their guard down and talk more about it because they know a, a solution is so readily available. And like you're saying, it, it gets you in the office, but it may not be the solution uh, yeah. that's warranted. Yeah, hundred percent for two reasons. One, because it may not be the problem. As I, as I sort of mentioned yeah. before, they may have another problem, which they're just calling erectile dysfunction. And a very common one is premature ejaculation. And, and some of that comes from the patient. Some of it comes from the primary care physician because they'll tell, they may, I don't know, you know, in the States, it's a little bit different, but in Canada, you know, you're, we're on a, you're on a conveyor belt in and out, in and out, in and out. You want to get as many really? patients as you can. I have done what very few urologists, maybe one other one in Canada have done. And I've actually gone off the grid. I've gone off the national Medicare program mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm private for fee. There's two of us in Canada. Uh, so I, because of that, I can. In all, in all of Canada. 
in all of Canada. Wow. Uh, and, we're, and we're both in Montreal. So I, I can take the time, uh, the way my practice is set up, to spend. I used to see 12 patients an hour. Okay, now I'm seeing three. So you can imagine I have time to actually speak and know what the problem is. And I've had so many patients come to me. I've seen another urologist and they say, oh, yeah, I know I lose my erection. Here's a, here's a prescription for Viagra. Thank you. I'll, I'll see you in a year. Now, they didn't lose their erection. If you ask them more than two questions, they ejaculated. So that was a premature ejaculation that they're treating like an erectile dysfunction. Okay, so see that all the time. You know, guys with Peyronie's disease, we'll probably talk about that later, uh, with painful erections, um, and they're not getting erections, not because because their uh, circulation is poor, which Viagra is going to help, but because their sex drive is low. And why is their sex drive low? Maybe because their testosterone is low. Um, I've seen, you know, I, I since I've really got interested in, in the sexual health part of things for men, I've, I can't believe how much testosterone deficiency there is. Uh, so, you know, these guys, when you question them properly, and it doesn't take an hour questioning to try to get beyond just hair, here's the blue pill. Uh, but a lot of them have very different uh, issues and very different solutions than just Viagra. So uh, I think your question is great and 100% yes. Do you, do you find yourself uh, diagnosing low testosterone when the male himself is expecting erectile dysfunction as his, as his sole issue? Yeah, a lot. Uh, probably less so because I think, you know, in, in, in the, the testosterone community is, is a little bit weird. I think the patients know more about it than the doctors. Um, so they seek me out because they know that I'm someone who's interested in so that's, with time, I'm sort of a lot, seeing a lot of patients coming in saying, I'm sure I've got low testosterone, A, B, C. And I say, yeah, you should have taught your doctor this because you've been having these symptoms for five years. And I look at their blood test from five years ago and their testosterone is low. So uh, part of this is, is misinformation of doctors for the past 100 years. Uh, the JAMA, the Jur Journal of Amer uh, American mm -hmm. Medical Association, is, is partly to blame for worsening this. In 2013, they published a study which showed false data and, and said testosterone replacement therapy is bad for the heart. And if you just, with grade, not grade, you know, grade nine or I don't know what you call it, well, state, I, secondary, secondary three, back and forth, yeah, yeah, statistics. Uh, if you just know basic statistics, you can see how wrong. And then, in fact, in that study, it showed that testosterone is beneficial for the heart disease as opposed to causing heart disease. So that just, but, you know, once the cat was out of the bag and CNN and, you know, New York Times, testosterone is bad for the heart yeah. and doctors over prescribing it and doctors are being wooed by the pharmaceutical companies. I mean, you know, the public loves that shit. And um, that just set back the clocks of testosterone therapy for 20 years. So we're slowly clawing back and uh, there are, are tons of people who are suffering needlessly from low testosterone because they're not properly diagnosed. They're not taken seriously. They're put on antidepressants because they, which makes it worse, by the way, if you're, oh, yeah. if you're feeling, if you're feeling down and low, not because you're depressed, but because your testosterone is low, put you on a, on a, you know, a, um, an antidepressant, yeah. it's going to kill your sex drive. It's going to kill everything else, you know? So, uh, you know, I'm not against antidepressants in the proper right. case, but well, uh, I, I, uh, I think that's really important because you mentioned kind of going off of the, the, the Canadian system of the conveyor belt. And so you yeah. went from 12 patients an hour to now three. Yeah. And 
it sounds like by doing this assessment, it, you almost tapped into the real reason as to why you went into medicine in the first place to actually talk to a patient and unco uh, uncover what's going on. So there's, there's, that's there's, really cool. There, there is, is never something more, I think one of the most rewarding things is seeing a man properly treated on testosterone after they've been deficient, coming in, him coming back to the office three months later. Uh, you know, just seeing, you know, you saved my life, you changed my life, you know. Oh. Uh, it's, it's really, you know, there's very, you know, I, I used to do big cancer surgeries and you save people's lives and they don't feel sick before, they don't feel sick, they just feel sick afterwards because you, you know, you sliced them open and took out their kidney. So they're, they don't feel, yeah, okay, whatever, you took out my kidney, but they don't feel better. These guys feel better. You save their marriage. You, you save their job. They couldn't get up in the morning. They're tired. They're, you know, and it's a spiral because the more they feel crappy. So it, it's amazing. And it, it, it feels great to be able to, to diagnose and treat these patients. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. It makes sense that uh, testosterone replacement therapy would, I guess, just logically probably be good for maybe the heart because in the research that we've seen in the short time doing this podcast, it shows um, obviously better mood, more energy to do act like to perform exercise, uh, weight loss. We, we know that a typical symptom of being testosterone deficient is building up excess body fat. So mm -hmm. 100%. all those things combined probably. Cholesterol, yeah. Obesity, cholesterol, uh, cholesterol pathways, um, uh, insulin pathways. There's even some great studies out of Europe where they took obese men and some of them were put on testosterone, some of them weren't. They were deficient, but the ones that were put on testosterone, you can see over the years, their obesity decreasing, their diabetes improving, and the other ones were flat or increasing, weren't on. So I think we're at the tip of the iceberg. Um, you know, it, it, got, it got bad press. It's a great medic, it just got bad press and, and was abused. You know, we have the whole, yeah. bodybuilder uh weightlifting uh culture who are abusing it they're taking these guys come to me because they want to be followed but they're taking four times the recommended dose doses and they're not low to start off with so and i tell patients who sort of are a little bit worried i'm not taking you from a man to superman i'm taking you from a guy who's low in hormones and i want to make you normal i think patients understand it that way and the best example is is the thyroid you know you're low in a hormone you're feeling crappy. We give you this hormone to replace it, not, you know, take you through the ceiling and you feel better again. And it's the same thing with testosterone. It's a vital hormone in so many different bodily functions and lacking it causes havoc in so many different bodily functions. It's that simple. Just, just to like retrace a little bit and just to kind of get to the pharmaceutical end of it is like uh, to saying Viagra, Blue Choose, any of those, uh, medications for erectile dysfunction. They don't actually increase libido. They just allow for more blood flow to the penis to achieve erection and maintain erection. And I think there's really a misconception on, oh, if I take this, my sex drive will be higher. And, you yeah. know, and then the, the results. And so it's a great point that you're making about the testosterone actually increases the libido and the drive to 100%. go along with. 100%. There's two points to that, actually. Another point for the Viagra. So uh, from the pharmaceutical point of view is that one, yeah, Viagra helps in the mechanism. The, the end way uh, for erections is nitric oxide. I don't know if you see men who take nitro under when they get angina, right? So that relaxes the blood vessels in the heart. So uh, nitrous, 
um, Viagra, Cialis and Levitra, blocks the degradation of nitrous oxide in the penis. Uh, so that allows more nitrous oxide to hang around and it allows the blood vessels to dilate and allow more blood in, which means erections. So that has nothing, zero, zilch, nada, to do with libido. Libido is not getting a hard on. Libido is everything else that goes with it, the excitement, whatever. And that is testosterone mediated, 100%. Uh, yeah. the, other thing is, the other thing is just with the, with the sort of misconception of Viagra is that you take Viagra and you're going to get a, a hard on. And you're going to get a hard on because you know, the, 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 the half-life is, uh, you know, six to eight hours. You're going to get, you know, am I going to take this and just get a hard on? No. It, the beauty of it, actually, is that it works with the natural pathways, as I was talking about, the nitric oxide. So if you're not excited and you're not sending these signals down, which is releasing nitric oxide, Viagra is not going to give you an erection. So if you take it and your girlfriend has a headache and you're stuck watching the football game, I mean, some people get excited during a football game, but, you know, if you're not one of them. Yeah, it's a football season. Game. Come on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So uh, you're, you're not going to get you're not going to get excited. So I think that's important. You're not going to get a, 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 an erection. You're not going to get aroused by taking a Viagra. You just, you know, wasted 12 bucks. For whatever. So a, a topic I'd like to, you know, walking around. A, a topic I'd like to touch on is, so when we talk erectile dysfunction, we, we loop back to heart health. And for those patients, those men that are on Cialis, any of these, uh, any of these pills, these medications, I'm third year pharmacy student, so I'm going to defer to the uh, urologist here. But by taking these medications, you're not improving your actual cardiovascular health, correct? You're still. Um, by taking Viagra, you, if you maybe, you maybe actually. Viagra was actually meant, it was studied as a, as, a, as a drug for erectile dysfunction, as with some of the other treatments like shockwave therapy, uh, which is something we're using more and more. Um, but Viagra, uh, there may be some benefit. It makes sense that there would be benefit if you would take it on a regular basis. I know there's high doses of Cialis, which are used in pulmonary hypertension, I believe, on a daily basis. So um, I think if we're looking at risk versus benefit, there's more likely, based on the mechanism of action and some suggestive yeah. studies, that it, that it actually may be good for the heart. That's very the, mis the misconception that it's bad for the heart is, is, is sort of ties into what I said before. The nitric oxide, the nitro, when you take with angina, mm -hmm. uh, it increases nitrous oxide, and Viagra increases nitric nitrous oxide. So if you take them both, you have a higher rise in nitrous oxide, and your blood pressure drops. So it's really dangerous not to take that. And you're going to have a heart attack. Dangerous if you're having angina, and you just took a nitro, uh, a Viagra, and now you're, you're taking. Okay, great. You, you pop a nitro under your tongue, your blood pressure may drop drop precipitously, and 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 that may be dangerous. So. But that's, that's where the misconception about Viagra being bad for the heart is. It is not. Well, uh, to our viewers, before we move on, angina is chest pain. If you hear that yes. term going back and forth, just because it's going to be probably said a lot throughout here, angina is chest pain. Yeah. All right. So as a professional, and I know you've been doing this for a little bit, and you've gone from seeing a lot of patients to not a lot of patients, um, but getting a lot more effective results out of the increased time that you've spent with your patients. Um, have you noticed when, when patients come to see you that there's some kind of hesitancy that you're really, uh, you really have to draw a lot of information out of them rather than, you know, maybe somebody just shows up and lays it all on the table. 
Uh, there's definitely both kinds. Uh, you know, the, there's guys that are, are just want to tell you everything that happened in their last 20 years because they know there's something there that that's going to explain all this, that you're just going to be able to, you know, do that and they're going to be better. So you, you have that extreme. And I try to ex explain people that, you know, this isn't a, a one cause and effect, you know, that, you know, this isn't, you know, it, it's, it's multifactorial. The treatment is multifactorial, multidisciplinary. It's not, it's not like a bladder infection that you, you know, that, or an, a sexually transmitted disease that you, you step without a condom and now you got it and you take antibiotics for a week and you're cured. Um, so to, to, to try to dissect everything that's happened, you know, you get those kind of patients that just want to throw everything at you. Uh, and most of that is not necessary to make the diagnosis or make the treatment. And then you have people that, that you, you have to, to, to pull it out. Some of it's cultural. There's some cultures which are very, uh, you know, um, private or less outgoing um, and, and are, are shamed because of this. Uh, I have a lot of, um, of uh, Eastern Indian patients who, you know, they're newlyweds. They have, huge performance anxiety because they, it was a arranged marriage and they're, you know, they have it, they're, they're in their mid twenties or late twenties. And, and then they have a bad night and it just propagates and the wife will tell the families uh, and the, they will be shamed. And, and, you know, so it's, 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 it, there's a lot of cultural issues based on this mm -hmm. as well of how we talk about sex and how we talk about things. So uh, there's definitely both ends of the spectrum in terms of that. So, so you, you, t you talk about the, the hesitancy with, you know, tradition cultures, what would you, what would you like for men, say men who it's not against their tradition or their culture, it's more just their, their stigma of men's health. What would you like for them to know from your standpoint, from your professional opinion, should they be hesitant to see urologists? Should there be any stigma, any barrier there stopping them? And, you know, what? No, I think, you, I think, what uh, it? no, I mean, obviously my answer is going to be no, because, uh, you know, the chance of me helping you if you don't come into my office is zero, right? Uh, there's so many things that we have to offer. There's even natural medications uh, for erectile dysfunction, which I, I'm not, you know, one of these herbalists who believe in, uh, mm -hmm in uh i mean i believe in science and but there are some products out there uh, i don't know if you guys have heard of l-arginine uh l-arginine is an amino acid and uh l-arginine is the precursor to nitrous oxide and you can take it you get these in the supplement stores and there have been studies you know versus placebo versus viagra so on that it actually helps um you know so not there there are so many different things that we can do to help you um and and you know these kind of things get worse if you don't help them because the, once if there whatever organic biological cause there is, it's going to start to work its way up here, which is just going to make everything worse. And it's a vicious cycle. So the quicker you're in, the quicker you sort of say, Hey, I got, the, I got erectile dysfunction or, or whatever it is. And, and I'm cool. And it, it's, you know, 30% uh, of 30 year olds have some degree of erectile dysfunction. 50% of 50 year olds have erectile dysfunction. So, I'm normal. I'm not normal, but I, I, this is super common and I need to get on this just like if I had any other medical illness. And, um, and, and, and that's why there's no need to be afraid because 
you're just making it worse by by doing that. Um, yeah. You know, there's there's that's that's a message we that we kind of mold our mission after is that how many times can we say erectile dysfunction and these urological problems stem to other systems of the body like cardiovascular system so we know we we hit on a lot we're going to say erectile dysfunction is a leading precursor to heart disease but we we find it very important to have professionals such as yourself on here and just keep pounding that message. And I, we think that's the best way to break any sort of stigma is the, the more men come together and talk about these issues that are sensitive and, 100%. and suppo supposedly 100%. sensitive. Yeah. 100%. And I, and I uh, here's a little shameless plug. I started a, a, a YouTube video series with my, with my trainer and we talk about men's health issues and we called it Have the Balls to Talk About It. So everyone go that, to yeah. YouTube. YouTube yeah. and, and uh, have the balls to talk about it. And uh, like the description down below. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so, I mean, that, that, that's, that's what it is. I mean, you know, these things are treatable. They're important to, to, to bring to medical attention. Um, there's other things that can be done. It could be a precursor to heart disease. It can be a lead to try to get you to, you know, to work out and, and drink less and, and party less and, and, and all these things. Um, I, I can't say it's strong enough. Uh, you know, yeah. just there's no you, there's no reason not to. Uh, you know, I'm not going to come. In, you're not going to come into my office. And I'm going to you know put your penis on the table and bang it and say, okay, you're done. I mean, you know, I, I don't know what people are afraid of. And when people come into my office and I see them are shy, I, I go at them right away. I say, listen, you know, we're here to talk about your penis. You're not at the dentist. This is normal. I'm here for this. Let's tell me what's happening. Don't don't hold back. And um, I think that's partly my personality and, and I don't know if every doctor is the same and I don't think every doctor cares about it the same way, unfortunately. And they may have had- Committed to your patients, Yeah, and patients may have had bad experience. But so, I, you know, if you're not happy with your doctor's response to bringing it up, uh, go see another doctor. Yeah. Bottom line, you know. I think that was a, a really one of the reasons that we started this whole show slash podcast is that you can do, you can watch these videos in the privacy of your own home. You can get professional opinions, yeah. you know, sit on the couch, crack a beer, you know, and, and watch, you know, some valid information coming from professionals so that you can, you know, essentially muster up the courage to go and to really say, you know what, I'm not going to let this stigma defeat me. I'm going to go yeah. see my doctor. And then if, if we pound it into people's heads enough, like this is treatable, this is preventable. Um, yeah. You just got to get in front of the ball. Yeah. You know, I, I think a lot of the stigma behind men's health and the whole culture of uh, men's health can change. Yeah. 100%. 100%. It's happening slowly for sure. Yeah. So we're hoping our, our more casual, upfront way about it is a. It's amazing because when we started our YouTube series, we sort of looked online to see what's there. But there was a, a lot of things for women. There's a lot of women talking about their, their yeah. vaginas and their periods and their, and their PMS and, and all that stuff. But you know, men don't talk. Men no. don't, you know, so exactly this. We need more forums like this, uh, 100% to, to get the word out and, and start making this normal part of conversation and to speak to our sons about it and, you know, and, and our daughters about it and, and everything. Yeah, everybody's got, 
you know, maybe not everybody, but most people we feel like have a man in their life that they care about and that you, we, you know, we want the men in our life to be around their fathers, their uncles, brothers, all of that good stuff. Yeah. And if, you know, if somebody's watching this show and maybe they have that person in their life, they love, they know something's going on. Maybe they can show them, Hey, these guys are talking about, they're bringing professionals on. They're talking about these issues. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, we're, we don't want to say it's not that bad because everybody's perspective is different, but yeah. it's definitely preventable, definitely treatable. And it's just, again, got to get on the forefront of it. A hundred percent. Yeah. So as we, you know, we talk about these issues that men should be aware of, uh, you know, they may hear erectile dysfunction, they may hear BPH, but let, let's, let's get your take on the anatomy of it. Just a quick anatomical overview. So people understand what's going on down there. If, you know, someone's, sitting on the couch with a beer right now. Let's give them a fun, okay. casual anatomy lesson. So, you know, okay. what's the importance of prostate, penile health? What does the prostate do? Watchmen care okay, about so, it. Yeah. So um, the, the prostate is sort of the, I guess, the, the center of the, uh, of the sexual ex experience, right? So you, we'll, we'll even start further back. So the testicles produce sperm and testosterone, okay? So... When you ejaculate, people think the, test, the testicles squeeze and testicles just produce sperm, which work their way up. You don't ejaculate from the testicles. So they work their way up to the canals with the vas. So you have a vasectomy as you're blocking the sperm coming through the testicles. Okay. And that works its way up to two glands, the prostate and the seminal vesicles. So those two glands, the seminal vesicles are these floppy things that piggyback on top of the, the prostate. And they're the ones which are ejaculation. So you squeeze with ejaculation, which is, has the sperm, which is coming from the testicles and all that liquid and cum that's produced by the uh, prostate seminal vesicles and that shoots out through the penis. So it is not responsible for erections. It is responsible for ejaculation. So erection is in the penis. Ejaculation is from the testicle, uh, from the uh, prostate and seminal vesicles testicles uh, produce the sperm. Uh, so actually erections, orgasm, and ejaculation are three separate events. Okay, they, they actually do three separate, they're three separate mechanisms. And you can have one without the other. Right. You can have, or, you know, someone who has their prostate removed can still have an orgasm, no ejaculation, no liquid coming out. Mm -hmm. uh, someone can have no erections for whatever reason, but the way they're stimulated, even with a soft penis, they can have an, an orgasm. So they're separate events. Obviously, they're all intertwined and related, but they're separate events. The, and the prostate, the liquid that the prostate secretes, as I said, is ejected. It's not just so you can have liquid coming out. It actually nourishes the sperm and carries it um, you know, where it's supposed to go. So it's a fertility organ in the end. And the nerves for the erections uh, are coming right on either side of the prostate. So sometimes prostate disease can affect erections. And if you have prostate cancer, uh, your prostate removed or radiation, that can affect erections in a serious way, not because erections come from the prostate, because the nerves, you have the prostate like this, the nerves are really attached mm -hmm. right onto it. So when we do surgery to try to take out the prostate, you have to shave and try to spare those nerves. Wow. Is that something you do in your clinic? You do a basic surgery like that? Uh, no, that was that's a, that's a hospital-based thing. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Um, well, we, you talk prostate cancer, prostate health. Um, 
sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. We'll cut this part, but I'm losing my train of thought. With <laughs> <laughs> come, I'll come back to it. I'll come back to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. My, my train of thought just shut off on me there. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can talk about uh, enlarged, enlarged prostate. That's BPA. Yes, that's what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say. So, yeah. So why did, so the, the, um, just because it all ends up to the penis, ejaculation and, and urine, there has to be sort of mechanisms to, to shut off one versus the other. When you ejaculate, uh, so the urine flows right through the middle of the prostate. Uh, so when you ejaculate, it, the bladder neck closes, so the urine, so the ejaculation goes out and not in, because it could, you know, it could go either way. Um, the prostate grows with time. Every man, the prostate grows, 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 grows. Like with time, you know, you lose your hair, you get whatever prostate grows and when it grows enough uh, we call that BPH benign prostatic hypertrophy or benign enlargement not cancer it blocks that tube and that's when men start to have trouble that's one of the most common things I see in men over the age of 50 60 is, is uh, difficulty to pee they wake up at nighttime the pressure is not there anymore when they pee and and that's because of the prostate it, usually. is that is that one of the reasons why uh the residual volume in the bladder is one of the diagnostic tests you'll do. I saw, I saw that on your website, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So because if it blocks enough, you're not going to empty your bladder mm -hmm. and that can start to increase the urine left in the bladder that can get infected because it's just sort of sitting there. It can right. cause back pressure on the kidneys and damage the kidneys ultimately. So it's something that needs to be followed on. If you, again, like everything, in this field, if you find that early, it could be treated easily and, and no problem. If you let it go and let it go, let it go, you know, you can end up in dialysis because of kidney failure. So, you know, if, if someone's having symptoms which aren't normal, and, and I think you all know what's not normal, you know, if you're waking up five times at nighttime to pee, that's not normal. If your pain no. drips, 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 that's not normal. Uh, so these things need to be worked, at, worked on and, and worked up before it gets to a point where it's too late. And it's easily treatable when it's not too late. Mm -hmm. That proactive approach you're, you're talking about right now is, is really one of the first topics we, we took on for the podcast. We, we filmed for one night just like six hours straight. We just talked prostate, BPH, prostate cancer. We talked all of that. And we came across uh, questionnaires, whether they're using the clinic or self-questionnaires, uh, the AUAs. BPH AUA symptom score. Yeah. Yes. Do you endorse that for clinical use only, or do you mention that to patients to do on their own? I mean, either way, I don't, if a guy comes into my office, I don't necessarily use it because I just okay. say, I just ask the questions mentally and I mark down, he pees five times at nighttime, his pressure is low and he's running to the bathroom. So it's good to follow patients. Um, you know, these are standardized questionnaires. I think they're great right. tools and we, you know, it's good that we're going to put it on our updating my website. We're going to put it on the website so patients can sort of check in and say, wow, my score is uh, 15. That's, that's pretty serious symptoms. And, and, you know, so it's a good way of making people aware of the scores. I think the more people can take uh, understanding and they're going through this and saying, okay, well, this isn't normal. I mean, I should be once a night, not five times a night. Um, so I think, I think they're great if they're out there and, and, and get men just thinking about their, their health. Anyway. Yeah, that was, that was one of the first things we did. We just put the questionnaires out there in case a man didn't want to go to the clinic, but they yeah. found the link and they're like, oh, maybe I should just go take this to a doctor to see. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah I think that's great. I think that's great. Yeah, and then if they're uncomfortable discussing the topic, 
they can hand you the questionnaire and say, here's what's going on. And then you're yeah. a professional. You can lead that conversation and get the information yep. that you need out of them. Yeah. And my, my, my new website that's going to launch soon is, has exactly that. You know, and if, and, and if you have sexual symptoms, there'll be a sexual score. And then you, it'll put your name and any complaints that you want to put on. And that'll come to me with the results of your score. Um, so uh, yeah, I, think that's, I think that's great. What, um, what's that website? Just so we have it, we can put it in uh, the link in the bio. It's, it's SteinbergUrology.com. Okay, perfect. So yeah. link in the bio, everybody. When yeah. you see this, yeah. that'll be uh, another tool available to you uh, in case you need a yeah. professional to guide that conversation. Mm -hmm. So one thing we, didn't, we haven't really talked about before is prostatitis. And we've kind of- You have three uh, hours? Excuse me? You have three hours? <laughs> well, we, we film episodes before the whole uh, COVID pandemic thing kind of started to take, take charge. We were filming episodes and just having casual conversations. Stephen and I were doing some research, getting clinical guidelines and um, providing just information on different situations. We never really got to the prostatitis part. So could you give our viewers uh, maybe a little overview of it? Maybe not the three hour version, but the couple minute version. Yeah, uh, I'll give you the couple minute version. That between that and maybe BPH or something else. Okay, so uh, very easily, BPH is, is more urinary symptoms and chronic prostatitis is pain. So, and there's, and there's three, for, for, for easy discussion sake, there's three types. Um, it, it's acute prostatitis. Okay, if you have pain, difficulty to pee, but you got fever and chills and you feel crappy, you go to the emergency room because that needs to have antibiotics now or you, you, know, you get sick. Okay, those people feel like shit. Okay, so that's not really difficult to diagnose compared to the other one. Then we have the two other main categories, which is chronic prostatitis and chronic pelvic pain syndrome. Okay, we used to think that all this was caused by bacteria and we put you on Cipro or Septra for six weeks and that that didn't work. We put you on another six weeks and um, it's hard to diagnose because it's not like a urine. You could just pee in a cup and you get the urine sample and you see if there's an infection, but it's hard to culture the prostate. It's a solid organ. You know, I get some guys to ejaculate in a cup and we send that for a culture, but it's not precise or you can do a massage, a rough massage of the prostate and collect the liquid. It's impractical and imprecise. So it, it is hard to diagnose, but, but really BPH and large prostate is difficulty to pee. You wake up at nighttime, you're dripping, your pressure is low. Uh, you may have to pee often, but you shouldn't have pain. Chronic prostatitis or chronic pelvic pain syndrome uh, is, is, you know, you may have pain uh, just below the belly button. You may have pain in the perineum between the testicles and the anus. You may have pain in the rectum. You have pain in the testicles. Some of the difficulties to pee, you may pee often. Ejaculation may be painful. Uh, so it's more generalized pain uh, with the urinary symptoms than just the urinary symptoms alone. If you don't have urinary symptoms, if you don't have pain, you don't have prostatitis. Okay, the heart, and again, so that's, it's not a difficulty to diagnose BPH and prostatitis, but the bacterial ones from the non-bacterial ones. And now it's more and more uh, thought that some of these are caused by uh, pelvic muscle dysfunction. So we're treating them uh, more with physiotherapy, anti-inflammatories, uh, you know, sitz baths, warm baths. Um, we even use Valium suppositories that can relax the pelvic muscle. 
And we're being much more successful, in my opinion, than we were in the past in just throwing antibiotics. So, you know, how to diagnose and differentiate between the two is, is quite difficult. And that's, uh, and that's where the three-hour discussion comes in. Um, but, uh, but to try to, you know, it's a frustrating thing for patients because you can't diagnose it like you can an ammonia or a urine infection. You know, you can't just do an x-ray and say, ah, this is prostatitis. Mm-hmm. So what I try to tell patients, and I don't want to take credit for this, this came from a book called Headache in the Pelvis, which talks about some of these symptoms, is it's like migraines, right? You don't see a migraine. You don't feel a migraine on an exam. You can't do a CAT scan or an x-ray or an ultrasound and say, mm-hmm. oh, this is a migraine. It's based on symptoms. So then the guy says, well, how do you know this is a, you know, or he writes a, a lousy review on rate MD doctor didn't even send me for test. Um, it, it's, it's based on symptoms. You know, if you tell me that this, you know, and we do some tests to rule out to maybe have a bladder infection because you have a little bit of burning when you pee, or maybe you got uh, prostate cancer. So I feel your prostate or send you for a blood test or, or whatever it is. Uh, but it's, it's based on symptoms, bottom line. And, uh, and there are other, many other diseases which are based on illnesses. Just some patients find it hard to accept that. They want to see the paper saying diagnosis, prostatitis, yeah. whether it's a blood test or a urine test or, or something, which doesn't exist for this. doesn't mean it's uh, any less a disease. and doesn't mean that, you know, it doesn't mean I'm telling you it's in your head, but, you know, it, it is what it is. You can't see a sore back. You can't see a pulled muscle. You diagnose it based on the symptoms and how it happened and so if we're if we're talking in infection of the prostate, if we're talking if we're talking infection of the prostate, would patients uh, expect to see blood in the urine, or is that separate entirely? May or may not. May or may not. Yeah. Okay. If we're talking symptoms, and you bring up the migraine the, thing, the, the, I, sta- the, the standard prostatitis, chronic prostatitis, chronic pelvic pain, you don't see blood. So that's if you see blood in the urine, you need to see you need to see a doctor now. Yeah. This okay. week, this week, next week. Uh, blood in the uh, urine. See doctor now. That's yeah. The take home message right there. Yeah. Blood in the urine. Blood in the sperm. You should get it checked out. Everyone comes in freaking out they have prostate cancer, but blood in the sperm is is, is often nothing. It's often just an inflammation. And again, I like to use analogies that patients will accept, but it's like having a bloody nose. It's a blood vessel that burst in the prostate. You need to make sure there's no prostate cancer, but in, in 15 years of my practice, I've never diagnosed prostate cancer by someone who's come in with blood in the, in the urine. So. Okay. Well. Uh, in the sperm, uh, in the sperm, in the sperm. In the sperm. Blood in the sperm. Yes. Okay. Blood and ejaculation. Oh, that'd be terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, it is terrifying. People come in freaking out, but usually, usually, the vast majority of the times, we don't find anything. Well, that's fortunate. Yep. Um, well, I, we touched a, a little bit before, but, uh, you know, we want to get you to speak your mind and we think, like we mentioned, we think people have a misconception that these urological issues arise only when getting older, which can be all the more devastating to a young man's mentality. Uh, and one of these conditions that are typically aligned with the aging process, as we mentioned, is that of low testosterone. Uh, so what are some of the signs, symptoms of low T, and what can a man do to improve that condition? Uh, so, you know, anything sexual, uh, most common would be decreased libido or sex drive. Um, there's uh, erectile dysfunction can be caused by low testosterone alone. Um, 
but there's all the other symptoms or less pleasure with ejaculation. Uh, but then there's all the other things. There, there's difficulty to exercise. They don't feel like they have the same stamina. They're tired. They feel like they're in a brain fog. Um, no matter how hard they exercise or diet or work out, can't get rid of the fats around the waist. Um, they're, they can't concentrate at work as much as they can. Uh, that's pretty much the, the main spectrum of it. Yeah. There's a good hey. questionnaire, actually. Uh, it's called the ADAM, A-D-A-M, Androgen okay. Efficiency, something or other questionnaire that sort of goes through most of those points. And it's a, it's a good, you know, similar to the, the prostate symptom score, this is a good one for... for Would a patient be able to do that on their own? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. so we'll put that down in the description down below. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you for mentioning that. Yeah. Uh, so we want to switch gears a bit here and talk about conditions that people may be less familiar with. Cause we talked BPH, we talked ED, everyone knows those, but we go on your site, we see a lot more interesting things out there. And so people may know about Peroni beer, but that word has a different meaning in your profession. So what is Peroni's disease and how does a man proceed with that diagnosis? Uh, Peroni's disease is scar tissue that forms somewhere along the penis usually on the upper surface and it's collagen. And because that's scar, it's often painful in the beginning. Uh, and what, what most people notice first is when the penis expands in erection, this collagen area doesn't expand as well as the rest of the tissue. So it curves the penis. So the three things, the four things, which people, which, which lead you to possible uh, Peyronie's disease is one painful erections. Sure. Two, you often feel that collagen plaque and it's a little lump. You sort of feel under the surface. It's not like a nodule. Deep, deep, yeah. Yeah. And it yeah. could be small, like, a, you know, the size of a penny or it could be, uh, could be a couple of, uh, you know, an inch long. Um, so there's the nodule, there's the pain, there's curved erections. And, someti and sometimes it doesn't look a curved erection, but you may sort of see the erection with an hourglass deformity because um, it doesn't expand all around. And erectile dysfunction. Some people with erectile dysfunction, uh, you know, Peyronie's disease can cause erectile dysfunction as well. Wow. So it, uh, yeah, you you mentioned scar tissue. Does it result from trauma or? It sometimes, you know, I, I diagnosed a patient today who had a, a sort of a painful intercourse episode, but often they don't recognize the initial event, and it's believed to what they call micro trauma. So sort of time after time, these little traumas in the two layers of the the skin, uh, the, not the skin, but the, the corpora, the, the tissue around the, the penis that sort of rub together and causes some irritation that starts to scar with uh, scar, heal the scar tissue. So sometimes there is a definite okay. trauma. More often than not, there's not a, a seminal event. Like that's when it started. You okay. know, sometimes it just creeps up on you and, and they don't remember an event. So now, now I'm curious and I'd be surprised if a viewer wasn't curious. If you don't mind, what, what's the most extreme angle you've seen in, in this condition? Uh, 90 degree. You know, like, get, a, like a, get the hell out of here. Yeah. And, and, and treatment depends on how much it bothers them. So I had a guy who had a pretty severe thing and he wanted to fix it, but he's still able, it wasn't painful and he's still able to have, you know, great sex. So he wanted to go for a surgery and I actually convinced him out of it. I said, you know, <laughs> you're doing well with it. I know it looks funny maybe but your girlfriend was sitting next to him it's like she's like doesn't bother me and it didn't hurt him and his erections were you know rock hard so 
uh, you know, it, wow. it's, it has to do with, you know, uh, what positions you're doing and how your partner can accept it. And uh, so, yeah, but uh, there are some, it sounds, some, like some it sounds like you have to cases. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. That, that was yeah, way more I, extreme than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, wow. um, that's, that's, that's rare, but <laughs> yeah. normally, uh, you know, you see them in a the 30 degree range, 30, 40 degree range. So your sur the surgery is invasive to go get the scar tissue out, or? Uh, well, there's treatment without it. You can you can. There's actually penile traction devices. It looks like a medi medieval torture thing, but it's actually something that pulls the penis straight, and you wear it for about an hour every night. Um, and over time, that can improve by twenty to thirty percent. Um, so uh, it sort of pulls the penis straight, and as it it heals in a more straight way. Uh, I mentioned that that plaque was collagen, but we can mm -hmm. inject collagenase, which okay. melts the collagenase. It's called Zyaflex. Uh, that's something relatively new. And it's a series of uh, eight injections into that little plaque. And that can improve by, you know, 30, 40%. Um, and then the easiest type of surgery is if your curve is like that, instead of removing the plaque, which would be on this side, it's to actually put in stitches on the other side, which pulls it straight. So you're sort of counter, counter levering. Problem with that, yeah. Problem with that is that when you do that, because it's already short on this side, it actually causes a little bit of a shortening of the penis. And then finally, to remove that plaque. But if you have a big plaque here and you remove it, you're left with a little hole in the tissue. So you need to put a graft, and sometimes they take that from the mouth, in the cheek, and you know, or, or different types of grafts to put on top of that. So that's a more you know, for more advanced uh, cases. Is, is, is that a, a case by case basis or do you have a favorite go-to? No, like, I don't, I don't even do those surgeries. I send them to yeah. one of my partners, uh, but I, I can't even remember maybe one out of a hundred patients ends up needing to have to go for surgery. Really? Yeah. That's like, that's really interesting. I, yeah. Steven, I learned something new every time we do this podcast or interview. Thank you, doctor. That's my pleasure. 90 <laughs> degrees. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, I really think like we do, we do all this research to yeah. get prepared for you guys. <laughs> every single time, like we learn something. Away. <laughs> not to, uh, not to, you know, we, it's just, it's, it's awesome hearing all this information. Yeah. And you and I are both like just, for lack of a better term, huge nerds. And I guess we're men's health nerds. That's and, awesome. Um, but at the same time, the information that you guys give is so important because at some point in time, we'll be out in the field just like you and we'll be able to help patients. Yeah. Uh, super valuable. This knowledge is important to get out there, 100%. For sure. Yeah. Uh, so by the numbers we found, uh, about two-thirds of males are uncircumcised worldwide, which kind of shocked me and just, you know, it, it seems so traditional. Um, and according to your clinical practices website, that is, for lack of a better term, a risk factor for a condition known as phimosis. So what is well, phimosis? A, a risk factor, you, you can't get phimosis if you don't have a foreskin. So, you know, <laughs> if, you're not, right. if you're circumcised, you can never get phimosis. Phimosis is when the foreskin gets still there. too tight. Yeah. Uh, and, and what happens is, is either you can't pull it down anymore, uh, when you're soft in a more extreme case or when you're erect, you get erect and, and it's just stuck because there's a little, usually a scarred ring at the tip of it, uh, or you can get it down, but it sort of strangulates a little bit because it gets tight. It's basically scar tissue and it sometimes causes a vicious cycle 
because when you get erection, you stretch it out, that tissue is not as stretchy. So it causes these little micro tears and these micro tears will, will scar, will heal, heal up as scars and they'll become less elastic. So they'll tear more when you stretch it, which is, you know, erection to stretch it. And it, mm -hmm. it gets, it gets worse and worse. And that, you know, can make it difficult to clean. And if it's difficult to clean, you can get, you know, uh, more likely to get prost eh, prostate, uh, penile cancers and, and, and stuff like that. You can even block up from urine. Um, I'm not suggesting that every man gets circumcised to prevent this, but I think if you're having trouble with the foreskin, uh, take care of it. Like many things we've talked about, when I get guys that come in just at the beginning, I often give them this steroid cream, cortisone-based cream, which softens the tissue. And that can prevent men from needing surgery because if you let it go and it gets too stuck, it's a circumcision. So you, you, know, you mentioned so steroids and kind of the way you describe what phimosis is, is it any, in any uh, sense of the word chronic inflammation at all? Because it sounds like that vicious cycle. Is that what it yeah, is? That, well, that's what, yeah. I mean, you can have phimosis uh, without the inflammation. So it just, and some people are just born with it and never almost most most kids are born with a difficulty to put down the skin and sort of grows with time um, but once you start to get that inflammation and healing and scarring that takes us almost to the next level and that's called bxo or uh, balanitis zerotica obliterans um, so when you see those ones which is just not much scar tissue that's more basic Phimosis. When it starts to get white scar tissue and it can get white on the tip of the penis, whatever, that's more BXO or some people call it lichen sclerosis. Or, um, and that's more the inflammatory cycle. It's sort of scarring, trauma, inflammatory, scarring, trauma, inflammatory. Yeah. Wow. So, so steroids can sometimes, when caught early, break the cycle. So like after all that, do you, do you see circumcision being an option or is it kind of just yeah in my office yeah. i do uh two to three uh if you know well, myself and you know my partner is probably uh 10 adult male circumcisions a week or a month really? you know uh, several several a month yeah For, no i'm not talking about some guy whose girlfriend doesn't like his his floppy foreskin i'm talking about for phimosis for medical disease for medical problems i really feel like it's it's not an issue that we even hear about too often or I've never heard of it about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the fact that you're doing around 10 a week is pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It, so it's, uh, it's, it's not uncommon. So for, for the viewers that, you know, maybe in that situation or they're noticing something going on down there. Uh, I know you mentioned some aggressive inflammation in that cycle, but what are some of the early indications that something is not right if simple difficulty to, to lower the foreskin or when they when they're in erection there's this kind of ring like a tightness of the foreskin and it's usually like a, you know okay whatever the tissue should be nice and loose but if there's one area that comes from the, the top of the foreskin when it comes down during erection uh, that causes a, almost a strangulation it doesn't have to be so severe but if you sort of see mm -hmm. that indent and it's a little bit irritating that's phimosis Always Very learning simple. something new. Always yeah. learning something new on this podcast. Yes. And, and you're, just to go back to the steroids, you guys are, are in pharmacy. You know, we, we tell patients don't use cortisone cream too much because it can thin out the skin. But that's exactly what we want. We sort of use the side effect of it as the beneficial effect. 
That's interesting. We Very want cool. the skin to thin out so it's more loose and paper thin and stretchy. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah. Like, and I, when we're talking about foreskin, I found that fascinating that medicine, the way that you're using medicine in your office uh, just to, to handle these problems that some men don't even know about. I mean, that's really yeah. great work you're doing. And Dr. Steinberg, we really appreciate you taking the time to share, you know, this plethora of knowledge and we look forward to having you back on maybe for that three hour explanation of prostatitis. <laughs> you know, a lot of these topics can be very overwhelming and intimidating yeah. for a man to confront. Yeah. But with healthcare professionals like yourself, there's no doubt that the future of men's health is heading in the right direction. Uh, so everyone check out Dr. Steinberg's information in the links down below for quality content his website is SteinbergUrology.com and Instagram at SteinbergUrology. Uh, please subscribe to our Men's Health Unscripted channel. Like the video, comment down below. Follow us on Instagram at Men's Health Unscripted and Twitter at Unscripted underscore MH. Dr. Steinberg, thank you for being with us. And we hope to have you pleasure. on again, like we said, in the Definitely. future. Anytime, give me a call. Absolutely. It's pleasure. been a pleasure, guys. Enjoy Enjoy your viewers. Take action today and thanks for checking in. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. All right, All right sir. Take it easy. Okay. Take Thank care. You.